How are we doing, folks? Are we okay? Are we hanging in there? It's been a difficult week, but it's going to be okay, you know. It's going to be okay. Consider this episode of On A Pair as Group Therapy. Welcome aboard. It's episode 15. It's three friends talking about the game they love and the team they follow and some of the disappointments that go with it. Now, it's no great surprise that part-time Daryl Butler isn't with us in the studio this evening, but I have got my good mate Peter de Sonberg. How are you, Pete? I'm not too bad, Jim. Can I just ask who's approving Daryl's leave? Because he hasn't submitted any to me. <laughs> well, you are the king of admin, Pete. You should have received the relevant documentation. Has he let you down yet again? He has. He has. He's going to be reprimanded. Terrible between the wickets. Terrible with life admin, but that's OK. How has your week been, aside from the obvious, Pete? Aside from the obvious, it's been good. Saw some family today, including the uh, Freddie, which you mentioned on this podcast. So Northern Family came down today. And uh, I've got some decorators in. That's always exciting, isn't it? Well, you've got some real men in the house for once. I bet your wife's absolutely <laughs> delighted, Pete. <laughs> You're quite right. You're quite right. Right. Well, I mean, there's all kinds of things going on this week to get us hot under the collar. Not least the weather, but I suppose we'd better tuck in to, uh, well, the thing that probably got most people hot under the collar. It's the cricket, Pete. Before we dissect what's been a kind of difficult weekend for us Pairs fans, then uh, let's get to what we like to do first, and that is to news. Let's do it. Right, um, a surprise one, actually. It, Alex Davis, the Lancashire wicketkeeper batsman, has left the Old Trafford Club. He signed for Warwickshire. Didn't see that coming, cracking player. Um, but a great bit of business for the Bears. Liam Livingston as well. He's a record breaker. What a fantastic start to his international career. He is the fastest man to get to 100 in T20s in an England shirt. 42 balls it took him last week against Pakistan. We'll have more on that series in a bit. And uh, I suppose if we're going to talk about great six-hitting, we should talk about a chap called Josh Glass. His side in the Northern Irish club, um, Craigar, I hope I've pronounced that right. No one's going to check. No one knows. They needed 35 off the last over, and he hit six sixes to win it. Pete, that's astonishing. It is astonishing. Beggar's belief. I, I, I think uh, we discussed this on the chat, didn't we? And you said... Uh, the ideal scenario is that the, the the bowler would have just been hit for four on the final ball. So the batsman got close, but the bowler didn't completely lose it for his side. But uh, yeah, tough one, isn't it? Yeah, six sixes in an over. We've seen it done. Jadeja did it to Stuart Broad, didn't he? And uh, Ross Whiteley's done it. Worcestershire player Ross Whiteley's done it before. But I don't think... Has it ever happened to win a game? That's unbelievable. And I just... I felt terrible for the bowler. I kind of went, hit five sixes and then bowl him out. So it's like they've both won. But, yeah, I wonder who got man of the match. Terrific effort. And I suppose the uh, the other bit of news, as we segue into uh, a rather tricky 45 minutes or so, the final, the quarter-final lineup for the T20 Blast has been completed. England's Jofra Archer bowled three overs in his comeback from injury to help Sussex get a quarter-final berth against Yorkshire. Somerset have a home tie against Lancashire. Birmingham Bears will meet Kent, while Hampshire are away to Notts. Um, right, that's the news. Let's um, let's move on. Pete, you're back on Worcester Watch. How are you feeling? Fine. I've seen Daryl mess it up enough times. I'm, I'm good with it. I'm, I'm fine. Ready to go. 
Hit me with it then, Tiger. What have you got? What's to watch? We'll start with the men because you've mentioned uh, one of the games already. England were in action against Pakistan and Moen Ali was back in the squad, which is both pleasing uh, and disappointing to see from a Worcestershire perspective, isn't it? Didn't do much in the first game. Uh, England got thumped around, didn't they? As Pakistan posted 230-odd. And it was disappointing to not see him get a bowl. But he did do uh, a lot in the second game. He took 36 with the bat and looked absolutely magnificent doing it as England posted 200. And then he took two for 32 off three overs as England won by 45 runs. I mean, that, that knock on Sunday was incredible. I had, do you know, I had a feeling as well. I had this vibe. I was, um, I was just thinking, I've got, I've got. He's due an innings. He's due a good innings. And him and Joss Butler are good mates, aren't they? And Joss Butler captaining the side. I just thought he's going to go, and he did. It was, was it thirty six from fifteen balls or something absolutely gratuitous? Just clean. I mean, classic Moeen hitting. It was great to watch, wasn't it? It was brilliant, especially through the offside. He absolutely crunched a, a cut shot on a, a drive through for four, and uh, did his usual swing the bat over into uh, deep mid-wicket for six. So, uh, yeah, lovely to see when he's in full flow, as we all know. Yep, good on Mo. Back on form. Lovely to see that in an England shirt. Right, what else you got, Pete? So, England women were also in action. They took on India. Uh, Sarah Glenn didn't have the best game. She took none for 21 off two overs. But the game really was all about Danny Wyatt. She had an unbeaten 89 as England won by eight wickets. And she did that with 12 fours and a six off 56 balls. It was magnificent. Yeah, she well, she'd had a bit of a lean spell recently, hadn't she? But she's back on form. I, I saw a stat. I think it, four of the five highest run chases for England in that format. Danny Wyatt's top scored. Yeah, there yeah, magnificent quality, absolute quality. And, uh, finally, to finish off Worcester Watch, I've got a bit of a curveball in that Sunday was obviously a difficult day for for obvious reasons. But a former pair, a Mr. Shakib Al Hassan. Mm. was in action for Bangladesh against Zimbabwe and they were in all sorts of trouble chasing 240 something I think and Shakib at number three hit an unbeaten 96 off 109 balls to guide his team home as they uh, won by three wickets it game really caught my eye as we were waiting for the pairs match to start and it just had a feel that he might do it he might just stay there and he did so a uh, bit of a curveball but well played former pair Shakib I like it. Bring the positive energy. We're gonna, you know, if we're gonna get through this pod alive, Pete, we're gonna have to bring a lot of love. And Shakib Al Hassan, what a cracking cricketer in all forms of the game, both bat and ball. Uh, a cracking performance. Love it. Right? Is that worth to watch? Are we done? We're done. Lovely stuff. Uh, happy with that, Pete. Uh, you know, Daryl Butler's gonna have to up his game with that sort of quality, Pete. Um, you gotta respect it. Um, right, speaking of Daryl Butler, although he's not with us, he kind of is, because I did give him a ring and we had a bit of a chat. Friday night, we travelled to Edgebaston to take on the Warwickshire slash Birmingham Bears. It didn't go well. We came up short by 17 runs. We tried to chase down 169. We only made 152 for six. Let's see what Daz had to say about the bowling performance first up. Right, Daryl Butler, congratulations on technically being a guest on your own podcast. <laughs> um, right, so I suppose quickly then, while we've got you on the blower, uh, reaction to the Warwickshire slash Birmingham Bears game. Uh, what did you make of the bowling performance, first of all? 169 for five off 20. Uh, it, I think it was the usual problem, wasn't it? We started off absolutely brilliantly, top of the innings, Penny, Big Ben was good, Morris did all right, actually. The figures didn't uh, weren't very flattering, but uh, we bowled well. And then last four overs again. Last four overs, absolutely terrible again. No, just very one-dimensional, wasn't it? No sort of field changes. Uh, didn't seem to be any plan B. And although Ben stopped bowling at the start of the innings, only in sort of 
short outside the off stump, which, again, whilst it was working at the start of the innings, wasn't working against uh, a Brathwaite and, and Sam Hain, who were seeing the ball very well. And uh, they were just stepping outside the off stump and, uh, and clogging through the leg side every time, weren't they? Top of the innings, um, Dorcious in good shape, got an early wicket. Penny, two overs, two for 11. And then the squeeze, Dolavera and Sodi pace off. Between them, eight overs, one for 47. So they were really neat and tidy. But as you said, between overs 15 and 20, we tend to yeah, take we, take a kicking. But it's quite the... a I've had a quick look at the, some of the figures for the last... Well, I've looked at the last four overs. So 62 against the Bears the other night. This is when we're batting... Sorry, when we're bowling first. Um, Lancashire up there was 46. Leicester, 55. That got them up to a decent total when they should have been all out for 120, 130. Durham, 45. Yorkshire away, 74. That was the night where it all went wrong. Really, the home game against Yorkshire was only 37, which was just after Burster had got out, after he went ballistic. But they still got 200 on in that game, didn't they? Yeah. And, and the it... only game we really kept in time was the Lancashire home game. Uh, so there we are. Daz's thoughts on the bowling performance. Anything further to add, Pete? Oh, I think he's uh, he's pretty much covered it with that, hasn't he? I mean, I think he's quite right. The, the death bowling has obviously been an issue. There's been a lot of call for... Pat Brown from the Worcestershire supporters. A lot of referencing as well of our, our title-winning campaign and, and Brown and, and Barnard, I think, were the death bowlers at that time. Neither have been used on this occasion. Um, I think Morris is getting a little bit of an unfair hammering. I think he's been really good this tournament, uh, particularly in the early spells. He's really set up some wins for us. If you think about Warwickshire at home when he took two for eight off those two overs, it was absolutely vital. So I think it's unfair to, to pin it at Morris and Pennington, but the bowling unit hasn't been consistent, has it? No, that's very true. They're asking Morris or Pennington to do a job that they don't normally do. When you're missing a gun, death bowler, it's always going to be tricky. I mean, we'll, what we'll look to do is that we'll, we'll get through the couple of games and then we'll try and assess our season and see where we're at and, and try and be as objective as we can as to what went well and what didn't and perhaps what we could do going forward. But yeah, da- Daz, for once, I found he was succinct uh, and accurate, which is, <laughs> if we're honest, concerning for all of us. I think it's also worth noting that Sam Hayne played an absolute blinder for them. He was he was in great touch. And sometimes, you, as we've said in many podcasts, you have to tip your hat to the opposition. And that was, unfortunately, one of those occasions. Yeah, true. I think there were, there were times where Worcestershire didn't really help themselves, but you've still got to you've still got to whack the ball over the boundary, and he did it plenty. And uh, Brathwaite, he's you know he, he's a seasoned international cricketer. So um, as we always say, Pete, yeah, the opposition are allowed to do good things. That's the nature of high end competitive sport, and they did. Hayne, hey, he's a he's a serious talent, and all the things they couldn't get done at New Road, they got done at Edgbaston. Um, so. Let's get back to our boy Daryl Butler. Here's what he made of Worcestershire's reply. We just fell short, didn't we? Uh, they fell a lot better than we did in the last uh, last four or five overs. I think Lintot's brilliant. I just think of him. I, I figures, um... It's a really inelegant approach to yeah. the approach to the wicket, and then uh, the he release looks like he's going to come across as really sort of skiddy. But, but yeah. he almost gets a lot more. Ba- almost gets as much bounce as a six foot four bloody um, pace bowler, doesn't he? In a way, mm. he looks like a bouncer. It's re- a really inelegant looking bowler. But, I mean, at the point of delivery, head is still. It gets a bit of turn. Generally speaking, his line's decent. The difficulty with bowling wrist spin always is trying to get length right. But he looked. He's, I, I thought he looked pretty ordinary in the four-day game, but in the, in the T20s, he was solid. Um, and Briggs, we know what, we know what Briggs is going to bring. Four overs, two for 18. Economical. Bowls attacking lines. Backs his ability. He's just a really, really canny operator. So yeah, um, a a different performance with the ball for Warwickshire slash Birmingham. Uh, they were much better with the ball. What did you make of Worcestershire's reply with the bat? 
Well, I thought you were going to cut it off, but we just fell short, didn't we? And that was Daz's insight. <laughs> that would have that would have probably summed it up. <laughs> yeah, um, I think it's it's one of those. Into is um, uh, Dolavera went early, early, and I, I find that cheap wickets early really kill us because we because we lack uh, we lack power, we lack depth, and it's for us to chase anything above average as a score. Then you feel like Cox and Whiteley have to come off. Um, and unfortunately, they didn't. Uh, there were moments where you thought maybe we'll just get away with this when um, Barnard had the ball dropped over the boundary, but we, we just weren't quite there. They got a few too many with the bat, and we weren't quite powerful enough in reply. And I think it's sort of that was a, a microcosm of the games that we've lost this season, really. I mean, I'd say I, I didn't come away from the Warwickshire game feeling too disappointed. We said win one, lose one, probably in the in the local derbies, take care of business at home. We did that. And we also said take care of business against Leicestershire, which we'll uh, obviously come on to. But I didn't, obviously disappointed that we didn't get the job done and knocked them out of the cup there and then. But I didn't come away with it feeling too downbeat about it. Yeah, I, we we did say that, didn't we, the week before? And we were joking with uh, with the boys at the um, through the County Cricket podcast was that based on how both teams were going, it felt very much like a comfortable home win for both sides when they got there, and that's exactly what happened, really. So yeah, no great surprise, and it was it was going to end up being a win and you're in situation against Leicestershire, who have been at times half decent, but mainly below average in this form of cricket, and we must have felt relatively comfortable. Um, this is the last time we'll go to Daz. You can only listen to Daz for so long, can't you? But for some reason, <laughs> when if I pre-record him, he's really quite reasonable. I find it very disconcerting. So this, this might be the way forward. Yeah, yeah, maybe we've hit upon the ideal setup, right? Is Daz and his uh, his thoughts generally about how the weekend went? I wonder what, why Wessels isn't in the team if he's fit, because then you, you're putting the pressure on Haynes, who's just coming back from injury, and he didn't look comfortable. Let's be honest. I mean, Haynes is a fabulous cricketer, and I imagine that he's very good at T20. I mean, he hasn't played very much. It's very difficult to ask as a young lad making his way in the game. Open the batting in T20 for us, having never really played it in a weak batting lineup in a game that you must win away at your big rivals. It's a huge task. We don't we don't know what he is as a T20 player. The coaches will know, obviously, but we haven't seen it because he's barely played. So it's it doesn't make sense. I don't, it doesn't make sense to, to to drop vessels for him at this stage of the season with two games to go, and you've got to win one of those two games. I don't, I don't know. Anyway, um, and it, it seems like I was going to have to go at the, the squad selection, but it seems like we've change the batting lineup when we didn't need to and not change the bowling lineup when we did. That's how I feel about it, to be honest. Yeah, I think that the Pat, Pat Brown's an interesting one. Um, uh, Vessels, it all depends on whether he's fit or not. Um, yeah, so that's, so that's yeah. fair enough. Yeah, if he's not but, fit, that's fair enough. Why, why don't they tell us? <laughs> I'm normally pretty confident, but as I said to you boys early on, I thought, I think we're going to lose at Edgebaston and I've got a feeling if, if Birmingham bat first, they will definitely beat us and it will be comfortable. And it kind of was... Um, but yeah. that's just because we're a great T20 side in certain contexts. And in a couple of contexts, we really aren't. We're poor at bowling at the death and we're not good at chasing above average scores because of the personnel that we've got. And that's and it's kind of understandable. But aside from aside from those elements, we're actually a very, very good side. We're close to being very, very good. Um, well, we so- are. Well, I, I think I think if uh, over 16 overs, we're, we're winning the group. Quite honestly, like you say, our death bowling is letting us down big time. Yeah, you know, run out those figures. It's 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 uh, over fifty runs on half the occasions. We're letting in in the last four overs. It's too much. But and in, you've got one of the best death bowlers sat on the side. I know he's been injured, but he sat on the side for this game. In I'd say, in fairness, although I mean the death bowling is a problem, but at the same token, a lot of times in T20 cricket, 
quality batting gets you out of a disappointing bowling performance. But we're not. Yeah. We're, if the bowlers, the bowlers win us cricket matches. That's the reality. Our bowling yeah. unit win us cricket matches. The batsmen don't. The bowlers have to make sure that the the batting lineup can handle um, something something manageable. Because on a flat deck, Worcestershire could bowl really well and keep them to one ninety, but we aren't chasing it. So well, it's absolutely right about playing at the death, but there has to be complementary cricket. The difficulty is, is that we can't play complementary cricket. We can just we we win the way that we win, and that's by putting a good bowling performance together, and ideally not having to chase. Yeah, yeah. Batsman, batsman. I'm a, I'm a brilliant bowling performance backing up a good but not spectacular batting lineup. Yeah, well, our our modus operandi, ideally, bat first, get an average score. And then we'll bowl so tight at the top and in the middle order that the the death overs don't matter so much because they're seven down and the run rate's 11. So there we are, Daz Butler's views on how things went. We recorded that on Saturday ahead of the uh, the Leicestershire game and tried to pick the bones out of what happened at Edgebaston. There wasn't an awful lot to be pleased about, but there were a few things to have a giggle at. Unfortunately, it wasn't really much to do with the cricket. I did quite enjoy listening to the Bears commentary team trying to pronounce our Australian fast bowler's name. They weren't very good at it, so I've made this. Danger, danger. Ben Dahus is... Ben Dwar House. Oh, that's fine, I think so, it'll do. Dwoo House? I'd say, objectively speaking, that's the best thing about Friday night. I, it was it was hilarious, and I thought the, the feed <laughs> in general was dreadful, but there is another positive to come out of that uh, game. And that's off the field. No, the crocodile had a nice little trip to Birmingham. Me, that was that was nice for him. Oh God, really? I I, I like the fact you're on board with Niall. I'm not a big fan. I'm um, not on board, Jim. I'm just trying to find positive. I know. I like it. Good on you. That's it. Off our weird mascot crocodile. There's there's a large indigenous population of reptiles in the River Seven, just around the New Road area. <laughs> Look, they've gone for some marketing for the kids. It's not for us. We you know we should we should chill out. Um, anyway, so yeah, I mean, hitting on some uh, some issues that I think we've seen throughout the season. We won't dwell too much on what happened in the final game of the season because um, we want to have a nice time. We'll get through the kind of key bits and pieces, then we'll try and um, try and make sense of our season. So it came to a win and you're in situation as we travelled to the county ground in Leicestershire. That's right, isn't it? The Uptown <laughs> Funk is that what they call it now? It's got some stupid name. Yeah, the Upton Steelers. Oh, that's the Upton Steel. The Upton Steel, not the... There we are. I mean, they've missed a trick there. <laughs> I think there might be a few copyright issues if they called it the Uptown Funk County Ground. Anyway, so, yeah, Pete, we came up short again, mate. Lost by seven wickets. Batted first, made 169 for six, and it looked like a pretty decent score based on where we were at. But it was uh, easy pickings for one guy in particular, Look, I mean, the batting performance was what it was. What did you make of our batting performance, Pete? It felt like it, it didn't really ever get going until the very end, and that got us up, up to par. Um, obviously, in terms of the reply, we'll, we'll deal with a certain individual a bit later on. But, yeah, it just felt like we didn't get out the blocks. It felt like, well, obviously, for the second game in a row, we needed Mitchell and Libby to anchor us down a bit. There were some soft dismissals. And again, it, it just looked a, a little bit weak. I felt a bit sorry for Haynes 
looked like he was trying too hard. He, he looked like he was very fidgety, wanting to obviously make a statement and hit a couple. I think he hit an edge, didn't he? For, or got an edge for four and, and then lofted one to, to mid-off, but um, didn't quite do it. But there's no doubt about his talent. You just worry, uh, and I think Dallas and yourself touched on it in your, in your chat, that um, there's not enough batting depth, there's not enough big hitting in our lineup this year. That's partly to do with what we've got available and what we've maybe failed to bring in. I know there's a lot of talk on social media about overseas batsmen that have complemented our lineup or our resources in, in, in past years with Ferguson and Guptill and Rutherford, etc. But it just it felt at the start of the year that the T20 batting lineup was a tad lopsided. Uh, it felt it got better when Mitchell came in, funnily enough. But it's it's felt like it's been heavily reliant on two individuals in particular. Yeah, well, I mean, it's Ricky Vessels wasn't playing again. We still don't know why. Um, again, we'll we'll make sense of that in a little bit. We actually were, we were quite well set when we were we were sixty odd for two off eight. Dolavira managed to just hoik a long hop straight down mid wicket's throat, which was disappointing. But Libby and Mitchell were set fair. Mitchell was going at over a runner ball, and Libby was going at a hunt strike rate one hundred and twenty five. It was just unnecessary dismissals. They were going about eight and over, and Libby and Mitchell were set. And they were knocking it about. And I thought, after eight overs, another three overs of this, then we can look to launch it. But Mitchell, for some reason, just played a brain-dead cricket shot and just just chipped one down the ground and got caught by Lily off Parkinson. Just didn't need to play it. And then Libby tried to play a shot that... I mean, the stats were against him. He went. He looked to go inside out over extra cover to a bowler who was bowling across him and turning the ball away, and he got stumped. Uh, and I thought... Yeah, if it comes off, it looks great, but percentage-wise, it wasn't a brilliant decision. Um, With those sorts of things, like the Libby dismissal, you only have to look at his reaction afterwards. Uh, but as we've said... Oh, he was furious, wasn't shows, he? It's all very well doing it after the event. You've got to stop yourself or, or adjust the situation. And in all fairness, Libby has done that time and time again this season. So I, I can't get too annoyed with him about his dismissal but you're right in the context of the game it really wasn't what's needed and then when you factor into that as well Ben Cox being run out by the, another unlucky dismissal the third one of the year where the bowler has uh, tipped it onto the, onto the stumps for following a straight drive it just meant that we lost three wickets really quickly and had to rebuild yeah you're right I, I, I'm all for aggressive cricket and I like intent and I admire the intent but you also have to be able to play the shots that you're trying to play and I, I felt like I felt like they were stretching I felt like it was a stretch because we went from 67 for two off eight overs to 91 for five off 13 and it just killed all of the momentum and I thought well we've had it because you just think we know what we are as a batting unit Libby and Mitchell just bat for another three four overs go at eight and over and then look to launch um, yeah. And if we can get somewhere along the lines of 180, that's really good for us. And with our bowling attack, you fancy it. I mean, fortunately, Whiteley came in and looked aggressive. And Barnard, I mean, Barnard's a fabulous cricketer. He hasn't done anything with a bat, though, um, with his ramps and everything else. But he made 43 from 24 balls, five fours and one six. Uh, and he really dug us out. We were a bit lucky towards the end, a couple of edges through second slip and also kind of leg buys out for four when Whiteley was batting. But we deserved it. And I felt at 169 for six, we were in really good shape. I really fancied us to defend it. But um, despite the best efforts of um, Pennington, who bowled beautifully in his first two overs and took a couple of wickets, we were it was short work for a certain Josh Inglis, who absolutely crunched us all over the park. In a total of 171 for three, he made 118 not out from 61 balls and hit eight sixes. We hit two sixes all innings. He hit eight in 61 balls. And he was, I mean, in fairness, he was phenomenal. He was, same as, well, he was better than Sam Hayne, but same in the same context in that you've got to tip your heart. Sometimes you've just got to say, 
that, that someone is, is in the groove and they've just taken your, your bowling new parts, uh, unit apart single-handedly. We've had it a couple of times this year and unfortunately Inglis did it to us at exactly the wrong time. Yeah, I mean, there was some ordinary bowling at times. That happens, but I think he climbed into us and he just didn't stop. And by the time he got to, I think it was about 60, you could see the Worcestershire players just thought, we're done here. They were beaten. By about the 12th over, they were done. And their heads dropped. And you, you see someone like um, Barnard, who's normally so good under pressure, and he just he turned up and just bowled short and wide and got clattered for 17 off his over. Morris then followed suit with a difficult... Uh, you know, it, I mean, at, at one point, at 60 for three... I mean, it was off seven and a half overs. At 60 for three, you just thought they haven't got much batting to come. Ackerman's knackered his finger with his, his lucky run out uh, of Cox. That if we can get English out, we've got this game, but we couldn't. And he, I mean, even I mean, Sodi bowled really nicely. He went for six and over, but he was still class, being clattered over mid-wicket for six by English. He was, he was playing some brilliant shots to some reasonably good bowling, in fairness. Yeah, I mean, it's as we, we say, isn't it? If you can't take wickets, build pressure. And unfortunately... We couldn't do either, mainly because Inglis wouldn't let us and he was just striking it so cleanly. But we just couldn't stem the flow of runs or find a way to, to get him out. Um, and that's a combination of some poor bowling, but also some absolutely magnificent hitting. The, the difference between the two sides was a, was a special batsman at the top of the order. And uh, that's what we're missing at the moment for various different reasons. But... Um... But there we are. I mean, he just played brilliantly. I know there are dis- there's a lot of disappointment about the bowling performance. And it was the second half of that innings, the last 10 overs we bowled weren't very good. Um, but again, we were decent at the top of the order. Two wickets in the power plays. They were 60 for three off to seven, seven and a half with a long tail. So um, we were still in the game. It was just a phenomenal innings. Um, yeah. yeah, absolutely. Um, so there we are. We, we find ourselves two defeats over the weekend and we've fallen short. Pete, I mean, it's really difficult to find the enthusiasm to give a pair of the week. Should we? Uh, should we just call it quits this week? Yeah, that that'll be our uh, punishment. Is that no one gets the honour of a pair of the week? There we go. There we are. That's that's our way of being passive aggressive and uh, and giving them <laughs> giving them a hard time. Um, what I might do to try and cheer you up though is our listeners may remember it was episode five we were talking about our favorite commentators with any other business in the four ball game where we just talk about stuff and things in the game we like and often listeners will um chuck something our way to discuss our favorite bits and pieces about the game pete you picked a certain person who was your favorite commentator jonathan agnew but you said him in a weird name and i did this to you I can you? I can't get enough for that. It was. I was told off by my partner. Said stop bullying Pete. Um. So I've I've tried to sort of make amends for it because last week when we actually had a pair of the week to talk about, um, this happened. I don't think it's a tricky one, is it? Yeah, Dolly for me. Uh, yeah, it's Dolivera. Does Dolivera? No, <laughs> Dolivera. Yes, I was thinking about that all week. I just couldn't get it out of my mind. And I realised what it reminded me of. Um, so then, I did this. Thunderbolt and lightning, very, very frightening me. Dolivera. 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 So there we are. There's a little bit of uh, retribution, Pete. <laughs> Thanks, mate. Thanks. I appreciate it. No worries. It's you know this podcast is all about pop music. Um, uh, we've got to find the joy in it in somewhere. Um, and you'll be pleased to know that Daryl and I have combed through all the episodes, and we've got a special episode at the very end dedicated to your errors. Oh, they haven't, haven't got. To, I made we, that up. 
we, we haven't got time for all that, to be honest. There's far too many of them. Um, right, I tell you what we will do, though. Let's do having a blast, and then um, then we'll make some sense of our T20 campaign this season. So, Pete, over the weekend, then, the pointy end of the season, who have you liked? Well, you, you've stolen my thunder in a way, Jim, because you've mentioned all these key statistics. I've gone for the chap that took it away from us on Sunday. I've gone for Josh Inglis with his 118 not out. I think this, you've got to be gracious in defeat. And you have to acknowledge a magnificent performance, and and that was it. It was it was one of the best innings I've ever seen. I mean, it's, it really was that good. And he's uh, he's playing in the hundred as well, so he's a young man with a very bright future. Uh, and that was his last innings in a Leicestershire in brackets running Fox's shirt. Um, and it doesn't really get much better than that. I, I'm with you, Pete. Josh Inglis has been. More power to him. Um, right, I am going to go for a cricketer who actually scored a brilliant 100 in the four-day game last year against Worcestershire when we were chasing the Bob Willis trophy. I really, really like this kid. He can play all of the shots in all of the formats. It's uh, it's Tom Lamanby uh, for Somerset. Took on Gloucestershire. Gloucestershire were playing and I didn't go for Glenn Phillips. Imagine that. He came in late on. His innings was one of the most modern-looking cricket innings I've ever seen. He was ramping and scooping all over the option. There were about five or six ramps. Two went for six, three went for four. Um, He made 90 from 36 balls at a strike rate of 250. Somerset made 183 for seven. Gloucestershire couldn't get close. So Tom Lamanby's... And they're into the quarterfinals of the competition. So there we are. Easy, isn't it? Yeah, dead easy. Um, right, now, the less easy bit, Pete, let's make some sense of this. Look, we've got to try and, I suppose, figure out what sort of season we've had. If we look at the headlines, we've won handsomely against Lancashire and against Birmingham at home. We've lost embarrassingly away at Yorkshire and away at Notts. There have been some good cricket and bad cricket. That's the same for every side. In very simple terms, Pete, I think people are quite unhappy with the way the season's gone. I think they're disappointed with what they see as a capitulation. So let's just go through a few of the kind of the key points here and try and ascertain how our season's gone. Would you say, Pete, has it been a good season, a bad season, or an average season? What's your instinct on this in the T20 tournament? I'd say the T20 campaign was was average, really. I thought there was some excellent performance in there. Um, obviously, we had some some performances that we just fell, fell flat on our face. But I think given what we've got to work with and and, and given... The, the, the balance of the side in many ways. Uh, yeah, I thought it was it was okay. Uh, I thought we, we did relatively well to be in with a shout of qualification, come up just short, but I think you've got to acknowledge where we got to rather than the um, than linger too much on, on the fact that we, we got knocked out. I think the reason that it hurts so much for many is that it, obviously that last spot got handed to the Bears, so there's a real emotional connection to that, and all of that makes perfect sense. Uh, but yeah, all in all, I think it was, it was a, an okay campaign. Yeah, it's one of those as well that it was ours to lose and we lost it, which was tricky. I think that there are a lot of people who are frustrated and uh, are showing a lot of anger towards the coach. Uh, Gidman's getting a lot of grief. I don't blame them for being angry about the coach, but if we if we just put Gidman's position aside for now, in very simple terms, we have missed out on a quarterfinal berth by one point to the four teams that have test grounds, so the four big boys despite being under strength. So in that sense, 
that's a pretty good effort. I mean, the, because we lost two games to end up falling short, that's what really hurts. But if, if we try and be objective about this, if we, you, you mentioned team balance, let's look at the team that finished the season. You've got Haynes, Dolavera, Libby, Mitchell, Cox, Whiteley um, as your batting lineup, essentially, Barnard coming in at number seven. If you look at that team, we don't know what's going on with Ricky Vessels, why he wasn't playing, but there was no Ricky Vessels and there was no Moeen Ali. And we've had in recent years a top order overseas batsman. So without those three, you look at what we've got, Haynes, Dolavera, Libby, Mitchell, Cox. It's, it's not going to frighten many bowling attacks. So I think we have to be realistic about what we expect from them, don't we? I would completely agree with you, yeah. I mean, as I, I touched on before, We've usually uh, or previously used an overseas batsman to supplement what we have. And what we have is some excellent inventive T20 cricketers. And we've used those overseas batsmen who have usually got power to capitalise on the power play. And I think Darrell did some stats uh, earlier on in the campaign that showed we were the worst team in, in terms of power play hitting. I think we averaged about 40-odd for two, although it did improve after the, after we did those stats. But we were still not taking advantage enough. We did have our good days where we, we could get to maybe 70 for no wicket or, or 60 for one or something. But it didn't happen often enough. And I've got to give credit to Dolivera for, for what he's done at the top of the order. I think he's had a brilliant T20 campaign. For me, I prefer him further down the order because I think he gives you that middle order of, of Dolly, Cox and Barnard. is inventive, it's quick. It, it gives you something if the top order fails. And if you look back to our T20 success, we got runs at the top, and if we didn't get them at the top, we got them in the middle. Um, and then we had players coming down the order as well that could just swing and send it a long way. So it looked more balanced. And as I mentioned before, this season it didn't look as balanced, and that was always a bit of an issue for me. Yeah, there are two key issues with our team. One is, as we're discussing here, it's a lack of depth and power in the batting lineup. The other one is bowling at the death. So if we stick with the batting for now, ultimately... Would you say that they've got the recruitment process wrong? We look at the balance of the side. There is a lack of power. There is a lack of hitting. Now, admittedly, you know, no Ricky Vessels and no Moeen Ali, but we were always going to be missing Moeen. We know that. We miss him more this year than we normally would, in fairness. So do you think that they've gone the wrong route going for two overseas bowlers? And, and secondly, overseas batsmen who are good quality top-order batsmen are expensive. Yeah, I mean that that's a really important point. We you know we operate off off limited resources, and and that's a key factor. So these players that we we crave may not have been available, or were only available at a price we couldn't afford, thus making them not available. To your recruitment question, I would have to say yes, because at the start of the season you must have some foresight and to know that your your key player, your captain, is not going to be available most of the time. You know, Moen is it was still prominent for England at that time. You would also know what you've got in your academy and your seconds to work with. And we mentioned, you know, Tom Fowl being brought into the side. Daryl Mitchell has obviously been used uh, on and off. Bodrick was another player, but he hasn't got a good 2020 record. So you know what's in your reserve. And you, you Worcestershire use their overseas signing to supplement what they haven't got. And it's out this year, we we didn't, in terms of batting anyway. Yeah, I think that's fair enough. Gun batsmen are expensive, and it, and it could well just be down to finances. But then you look at someone like Glenn Phillips, who in in uh, in twelve innings he's made over thirty in eight of them, and he's made lots of fifties, uh, sixties, and a few nineties as well for Gloucestershire and Joss English as well for Leicestershire, who has been well the innings that absolutely dismantled us. I mean. You'd like to think that they would possibly be within our price range, but again, we don't know. We're guessing, so there's no no real value in that. But what what it's, it's evident that we lacked power because we hit two sixes in that innings, and English got four times that, 
on his own. And that the reality of it is, is that because of our limitations in our batting lineup, there, there are very limited ways in which we can win 2020s. In a modern era, if you want to win 2020 tournaments, you have to clear the rope. You have to be able to hit sixes to win a tournament, most likely. So, in a lot of ways, I think there's a lot of credit to this this team for, given their limitations, being so competitive in so many games. I think quite often fans get very angry and go, why aren't we just hitting the ball for six all the time like everybody else? It's like, it's really hard to do. <laughs> you know, it's not. Yeah. Um, and ultimately, I mean, if take someone like Tom Fell, that's not his game. He's not there to do that. But they've had no choice but to play him because we're, we've been... You know, a batsman light at the start of the season, then you lose Mo, and then for these mysterious reasons that no one knows, not telling us what's going on with Ricky Vessels. I think that's poor, by the way. Even if they don't want to say what's going on, whether it's a contractual wrangling or whether it's personal issues or whether he's injured, just throw out a generic presser saying, Ricky is unavailable for the weekend's fixtures. We will make a statement in due course. You know, I agree with that. in, in, In many ways... I, I didn't mind not knowing about it before the game. I, if they'd have come out afterwards and said, oh, by the way, you know, as you say, a standard generic press line. But, but for me, it's in keeping with the, the club in quite a few areas in terms of communication. You struggle to get many interviews out, certainly many interviews in a timely manner. I remember watching, uh, having a look at the Bears feed and I saw Sam Hain after their defeat at home. He was out on their YouTube channel for doing an interview. Well, as soon as the game finished, we have to wait for Hereford and Worcester quite often to post are so it's really difficult to get news and views out the club and certainly in a timely manner when it's more emotive and you get more out of it it seems like they they leave it a few days and then give something quite generic yeah um I'm, look i mean we've been very complimentary about the club and how they've been um transparent in other ways throughout the season which is fair enough but I, yeah i think you're right i mean, it, it, i find it odd that he's he's left out of the game against our biggest rivals in a high-end high pressure a high stakes game of cricket the biggest game of the season and there's just nothing and no one's asking any questions and no one's giving any answers and it might be something really straightforward like he's got a niggle or there's a family issue and that's fine but do, do us the courtesy of just saying he's unavailable you know they couldn't even manage that and i think i think it's a slightly disrespectful to the fan base because that's where rumors come from and that's that's where people feel disgruntled and they feel like they're not being including in proceedings Anyway, yeah, look, I, I think there'll be people listening to you there that are screaming absolutely <laughs> at the top of their voice. Yeah, I think you've echoed the views of many there. And we're not we're not being contentious here. We're not trying. We absolutely just chuck us a generic presser if you want, and then say talk about it later because we will find out. But I just kind of think, why not just say something? Two lines, just two lines on a website or on social media, you know. Um, but there we are. Let's hope it's not anything too nefarious or, you know, contractual wranglings or he's, you know, there's there's problems. Let's hope he's all right, you know, most importantly. So look, the, given, given those restrictions and then the pressure that Tom Fell faced and the pressure that Jack Haynes faced as well, it's, it's unfair to, to uh, level criticism at them. I think what's telling is if you look at the games that we've lost against the four teams that qualified, we played them eight times we've only won twice in those eight games, the, the teams that finished above us. And all of them are capable of hitting, uh, scoring big runs, and I think that's a difference. So the, the, we, we know about the issues with the, the lack of depth and the lack of power of the batting. Hopefully that's something they will address next season, ideally with um, a better use of overseas players. Do you think that's fair? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. I think we always say that we're a quality player short with, with what we have to work on, and usually we try and supplement that with a batsman and a bowler, and I, I, I think the two bowlers this time around didn't work, as we've already discussed. Yeah. They've both played well, though, in fairness to them. Um, let's, move on to, 
let's move on to the bowling then, because the, I think a lot of the... I mean, you, you touched on this with the grief that Morris got, and it's easy to pick on Morris because he, he kept getting carted in the power plays at the end of games um, in the last few overs. So it, it's easy to kind of to, to have a crack at him. And again, I understand why. I feel like there's a lot of anger at the bowling performances over the weekend. And I think it's, again, it's sort of justified, but sort of not. So if we look at essentially executing our skills as a bowling team, in overs 1 to 15, we're really very good. We're very good bowling at the top of the innings. Ben Dwarshus, after a ropey first game and a half, really came into his own. And uh, Pennington bowled really nicely at the top as well. And Morris coming in, bowling his cutters and his change of pace at the back end of the power play was really, really good as well. Two spinners, whether it was um, using Mitchell or whether it was using Dolly, in conjunction with Sodi, we really squeezed teams in the middle as well. For 15 overs, we're a really good bowling side. Yeah, I agree with that. Um, so the, the only issue, really, is that we're not very good at bowling at the death. And that meant that some sides who have got good batting lineups hurt us and got maybe 20, 30 more runs than they should have done. Yeah, and it's difficult to know the solution, isn't it? We had a good chat between the, the three of us. And obviously, the, the name, as we touched on before, is, is Pat Brown that's come into the mix. But Brown's a difficult one because he hasn't played all season. I don't think he's played much in the row of the reserves. I think he's played a youth game. So that's a gamble, bringing somebody in who, who hasn't had any cricket behind them. And Morris is our leading wicket taker. Yes, he's been hit at the death and trying to address that issue. Pennington has had really good bursts where he's looked unplayable. So the bowling unit has been good enough in so many patches that it was almost like you, you couldn't really justify dropping them in anyone in some ways. And if you did, who would it be? Yeah, it's, so, a, it's a fair point because, I mean, Pennington, they tried Pennington towards the latter stages and he got carted as well. Morris has done it more than Pennington. I think Pennington's probably got more pedigree and I think he's probably going to be a better bowler. I think he's got more pace and I think there's... But he's a young lad. And as you point out, Morris is our leading wicket-taker and apart from the death overs, he does everything else well. So you're basically in a position, do you bring in Pat Brown, who is tried, tested, and a great death bowler, but who clearly is not is not up to pace? Because you think, if he's really up to pace, he must play, surely, in big games? So do you play somebody who is undercooked in terms of preparation? And if you do that, you've got to drop one of Pennington or Morris, realistically. So you're opening bowler, who's bowled really well at the top of the innings, or Morris, who's your leading wicket-taker. And that's a very well, difficult decision to make. There are other options as well. You, you either drop Mitchell and Barnard and lose the batting element, or the final one, which we've not considered, is you drop Sodi and you give Dolly as your main spin threat. But of course, that leaves you with a batting all-rounder as your main spin option, which isn't ideal. So whichever way you try and squeeze him in, one area, so another area suffers. Yeah, absolutely. And the thing is, you can't drop Barnard and you can't drop Mitchell. And although Barnard, apart from the Leicester game, didn't do an awful lot with a bat, and Mitchell's never going to scare anyone with a bat in this format, is that we're already really light. We're already two batsmen light, really, in the top six. Yep. So they aren't really... And then you're right, like, you drop Sodi, but I'd say pound for pound, Sodi is probably our best bowler. So the the not having Pat Brown fit really, really hurts us. And I completely understand what Daz was saying about if he's in the squad, then he's fit. And if he's fit, he should play. And I'm, do you know what? I'm probably erring on the side of agreeing with him. But you throw Pat Brown in and he goes around the park because he's not, he's not ready. Then you look, like, you look like a Wally, don't you? We've been fortunate as well in the past because, again, there's a lot of turning back to history and how we've done it, which is understandable. And in previous years, we've had an overseas batsman, which we've mentioned, but we've also had a bowling all-rounder. Take Mitch Santner, for example. Somebody who can come in and give it a whack and gives you a real spin threat. But these players are hard to find. You can't, difficult to find a top spin bowler 
who can also chuck you out a quick fire 20. Mitchell Santner bats at eight in the best test team in the world, as we know, because they won the test championship. You know, yeah, see, it, it, it's, it is difficult to get, but other, other counties are doing it. It feels like the criticism of the players is unfair in some ways, in that you t- there's an issue with the power hitting, there's an issue with bowling at the death, but everything else, we're really pretty good. We're only a couple of players away. And I think that looking at next season, we have the basis of a really strong bowling attack with variation potentially when people are fit. You take any side you want. Look at Surrey, who were top of their group and smoking people at the start of this tournament, and they didn't qualify for the quarterfinals because Sam Curran and Tom Curran and Jason Roy disappeared. So you take three good quality, or your three best players, essentially, out the side. What do you expect to happen, you know, without without Ricky Vessels, without Mo, without Pat Brown? And that's the point, isn't it? The player I just mentioned about the, the, the spatting, spinning all-rounder is Moen Ali. That's the player that isn't available to us, who gives you that real spin threat and means that you could potentially look to bring a Pat Brown into the side as an extra seamer because Mo's good enough to play as a front liner. So Mo, taking Mo out of our lineup is just absolutely detrimental. And it's the same for a lot of sides. Um, you know, the comparable, I don't want to necessarily go into football, but you take Jack Grealish out of Aston Villa, they're not the same side. We are yep. not the same side without Mo and Ali, and we the players, the, the management knew that, so we have to con- conquer it or, or, or um, adjust to it somehow. So, I mean, really, I mean, I, I suppose what we're saying essentially is that the the shortcomings are obvious. There was no way that we could address that mid-season. We just we just didn't we didn't no. have a player, and 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 Morris and Pennington both had a go at bowling at the death, and it didn't work. Morris had the courage to stick with it, and we didn't have batsmen in reserve that could that could replace power hitters, and that's not the players' fault. Um, you know, and you that... say we can't adjust to it. We did because we brought Mitchell into the lineup, and we looked we looked better with him in the in the side. It looks more balanced. And and look and again, we won a lot of cricket matches. You think about a team like um, Durham, who are comparable. Their game management was shocking. Their inability to win cricket matches from good positions was was diabolical. We got found out against power hitting sides, um, but that's what happens. You come up against Clark and Hales, or you come up against a Bearstow, or you come up with Livingston and, and Butler. It's very difficult to compete with that quality, but yet we did. Because, again, we were one point away from qualifying for the quarterfinals against the four big teams with a you know with injuries, without our death bowler and without our two best batsmen. And that, that's a really good effort. That's a really good achievement. Um, I think you're absolutely how- right. And I think you hit the nail on the head earlier when you said it, it feels worse because we it was in our hands and we lost two games in a row, one against the local rivals to get knocked out. It's compounded by the fact that the Red Bull format was also underwhelming. So it's been two campaigns that have just not quite got off the ground. And I think the, the failure in Red Bull has maybe made this white pool disappointment because we were pinning our hopes on it and they haven't quite come through. And Obviously, a lot of fans feel that there's nothing left now. We won't go into the 100 today. But they feel that that's it cricket-wise. And I think that's maybe where a lot of the anger and emotions coming from. Yeah, and again, I don't blame them because... No, absolutely. Uh, because if, if, we, if we think about it, is that the players that were out there, I thought, were full of heart and, and gave it everything and were competitive and were brave. And they just came up short. They, they, you know... There's, I think there's an issue here where I think the, the frustrations towards the, the setup and the coaching team have sort of bled out onto the players. And I think that the fans will quickly, I think most like the ones that are, are angry, will quickly, sort of, that anger will dissipate and they'll realise that Charlie Morris actually has, a, for you know, 75% of the time, he's actually had a very good season. And he's, and he's mean, not well, the only one, is he? You know, we mentioned Dolly has been fantastic. Pennington has been a bit of a revelation. He's had his difficult moments, but most of the time he's done a really good thing. 
yeah, Libby's made the absolute best of his ability in this format as well, which is great. And yeah, Co Cox has really come on as a captain. I thought he's done he had a brilliant done a brilliant job as captain after after a rather difficult start with those two away games against uh, against Notts and against Yorkshire. Um, I thought he's come on leaps and bounds. Um, I mean, with you mentioned the four ball game. Let's we'll quickly we'll quickly see that away, and then we'll we'll deal with deal with the coaching situation. We played Warwickshire. We mentioned uh, in the last pod that we're two days in. Uh, the next two days were pretty pretty inconsequential, aside from a, a fabulous century from um, Ed Barnard batting at six. We called it. He said he should be batting at six, and he'll be there before the end of the season. And he was a great fifty from Haynes. Mitchell made a, a well deserved hundred, which was great to see. But it was a draw. We know this all too well. New road, draw. Warwickshire made 215 for two. Uh, match fizzled out for a draw. But, I mean, you're right. A really underwhelming Red Bull campaign. Some baffling decisions in terms of selection. We've been through it at great length on this pod earlier on in the season, so we won't go through all of that again. But I think the frustration is directed really towards the coaching staff. And, I mean, it's fair to say, I mean, Gidman's on the hot seat here. Well, my question is, is he? Because... I don't quite understand the coaching setup because Sharp is still there and he's got a job role. What is it? Is it head of player coaches development or something, which I don't fully understand. When when Gidman took the role, everybody moved up one effectively. And I, the way I look at it, Sharp became director of cricket almost, but that might be completely wrong. So what's his role? So yes, Gidman takes the back as, as head coach, but Sharp is still there. So what's his, his role is my, is, is my question. Oh, yeah, I mean, Sharp, we, we won a trophy with Sharp. Gidman came in. I mean, they obviously like him. He's obviously a good coach because he's off to the 100. So people think he's a good coach. Is he a good head coach? I mean, based on the performances we've seen this season with the Red Bull, it's difficult to really agree with the decisions that were made because, well, we were dreadful, if we're honest. We were mainly not very good. I think we were much better in the T20 this year than we were last year, although, I mean, some people may disagree. But if, if, if you look at what we got out of those players for the situation they're in based on the circumstances... But still, ultimately, decisions decisions have been made that mean that we were in a really, really difficult situation with the side that we put out when it really mattered towards the end of the season. It was really tough for us to be competitive there. Maybe he isn't. Maybe he's guaranteed. Maybe he's maybe he'll be there next season. But it's it's hard to feel, if we're honest, I'm fine with the players we've got. It's hard to feel confident with those who are in charge on the playing side of the club at the moment. Is that unfair? I don't think it's unfair. I, I haven't really considered the position, to be honest. Um, so I'm going to refrain from sort of commenting on it because it's not something I've really pondered over. And I, and I, no, sorry, I sound like a politician. No, it's, um, well, it's it's still pretty raw as well. And look, we lo we love the club, and, and we're we're quite we're reticent to start throwing punches or, or be really angry because it's not really helpful. And I, I don't think that's fair either. I mean, I think you can sort of maybe surmise it by saying, obviously, there are there are questions to be asked about decision making, both in terms of strategic level with bringing players in and some of the decisions that have been made in terms of selection and lineup and who that fits with. We don't know. There's an issue, obviously, with communication coming out of the club, just to explain some of the decisions a little bit more clearly to help us understand. In terms of the, the, the playing staff, you mentioned it. I think when the dust settles, people will realise that they had... Certain players had excellent campaigns and, and pretty everyone did pretty well given what we've got to work with. So there's a lot of optimism for the future because we have a T20 side, all a good T20 side. All of these players, a lot of them have won the trophy and come runners-up. So we know they've got the pedigree 
And with a few tweaks for next season, we can have a lot to be optimistic about. Doesn't feel that way now, but I think we do have a lot to a lot to be optimistic. We have a lot to be optimistic about. I really struggled with that sentence. You did. I mean, we are all struggling with optimism right now, Pete. You're right, and it's uh, that's a really sensible approach. I think the final bit on Gidman, I think, um, is that you, you talk about the communication. Yeah, it feels like they're protecting him. It might not be that. I might be. Com- I might be completely wrong. But you know what I mean? Like the the things that he come out with post game, they're not platitudes, but they just say he just says stuff that we've seen. Like you know, Dolly had a good game. Um, we needed to be better in the last three. We, we know that it's like what. Where's the analysis? Where's the observation? Where's the sense that you know how to fix this? Maybe he doesn't know how to fix this. Maybe he hasn't got the players that he wants. Maybe he doesn't know what he's doing. Maybe he feels in the shadow of Sharp, who's still there. Maybe Sharp picked him and he's looking after him. Who knows? I mean, <laughs> you know, but but we don't know because the, the questions aren't asked and there's no real outlet to do that which is frustrating, which, again, which we've seen all over social media when the reaction to how the, the season went and Gidman's saying these things. But we've learned nothing. We, we don't really learn anything from anything he says after games. And that's his choice. He, we, he doesn't owe us anything. But it doesn't lend itself to a popular or um, positive opinion from fans if you're not getting the results. Yeah, uh, hard, to, hard to disagree with any of those uh, comments. Um, well, look, we will leave it in a positive bent because... Um, you are right, Pete. There is the basis and the makings of a really good white ball cricket side there. And as you say, with a few tweaks and, a, you know, a, a good bit of recruitment. I mean, Sodi and Ben Dwarshus, I you know, I've really liked them. I've really enjoyed watching them. But, you know, for what we need next season, I think I think this season has really emphasised what we need to address. And hopefully that'll be something for next year. Sometimes you do have to get it wrong to get it right. So as long as they learn from these things and yeah, let's uh, let's get behind them and, and hope for a, a better season next season. We saw with the red ball version of the game, we lacked variation. Well, you know, in the white ball, we had loads of variation. We had wrist spinners and left armers and, and all sorts going on. And for the most part, you know, while overs 115, we were brilliant. So there are reasons to be cheerful. There is a good side in there somewhere. A few good decisions down the road and we could be okay. But let's, uh, let's see how we go in the Royal London One Day Cup. There's a friendly against Herefordshire this week. It's on Thursday. And then we kick off the uh, the One Day competition proper at home to Kent. We have fond memories, although it was a defeat uh, in, a, in the One Day Cup, in the knockout stages against Kent, Pete. Do you remember that? Heino Kuhn made a, 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 had a brilliant knock. I think Cox made a century that day, didn't he? Although I was slightly inebriated. Your memory is better than mine. I, I can't remember much about the action, but I remember being sat next to a wonderful group of Kent fans who yeah. made the day very, very enjoyable. There was a dozen of them and they came in a taxi and they were getting loads of grief from Worcestershire fans going, you must have come in a taxi. And they were just going, yes, we did. Yes, we did. They were, <laughs> they were great fun. Yeah, they were really good fun and a cracking game of cricket. So let's hope for better things in the Royal London Cup. We obviously will be without Mo and Whiteley and Cox and Pennington and Brown because of that other tournament that's going on. Just on that point, though, Jim, before I won't go into it too much because I think we maybe have a chat about it in future weeks, but I've actually signed up to the fact that I'm quite excited to see what some of the academy players have got to offer. You know, obviously we're going to see the likes of Milton come in and no doubt there'll be quite a few more players come in. I think it'd be really exciting to see what they've got and it's a good opportunity to test them out. Yeah, it's a great opportunity to see what's going on at the club. I'm looking forward to seeing Josh Baker. We've got the young lad Banton as well. So who knows? We might we might uncover a few hidden gems and there are lots of clubs in a similar situation. We'd rather it wasn't the way it was, but it is the way it is. So we'll get down to New Road and we'll cheer on the boys and let's hope for better things to come. Anyway, we got through it. It's going to be okay. 
It's going to be okay. Stick with us, guys. Let's hope for a good result against Kent on Sunday. And let's hope we have a reasonable shout at getting a pot at the end of the One Day Cup. Be kind to yourselves. We got through it. We'll see you next week. Peace.